The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um, so here's what the day will look like, just to give you a heads up. Uh, how's that? Thank you. Um, now we're going to look at jhana, both in the suttas and the Vasudhimaga. Um, I am hoping to have some time for some sits in here today, too. I have it scheduled, but, you know, there's a lot. So if not, I just want to encourage you to, you know, use the lunchtime if you can, if it's important. I know it's, you know, uh, we're going to have a full hour for lunch. Uh, in the afternoon, we're, then we're going to go back to samadhi and its place in important lists, seven factors of enlightenment, four foundations of mindfulness, anapanasati sutta, all these meditations. How does it, what's its place? And then we're going to, in, in the second session in the afternoon, we're going to really then go back and look at all the controversies and disagreements and the range of ways it's taught and how it all fits. And I think we'll be ready for that. But I do have just one question here first. Um, how... Would you please raise your hand if, if you don't have a copy of the handouts? I want to know how many to make. Okay. One, two, three. Okay. So um, during lunchtime, I'll, I'll get those. I think you'll do that. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Let me just start, since we're going to talk about jhana. This is a quote from uh, Ajahn Tanisaro. So in this book, there's... The first half of the book is actually similar to all this material, but the second half is these interviews, and they actually came out, I thought they really came out well. And the first person I interviewed here, the uh, second person was Ajahn Tanisaro. And here was the question, and then you can hear his answer. I asked him, why do you think there's so much disagreement and controversy around samadhi? He said, there are two basic considerations. First, the tradition talks about samadhi in so many different ways, and particularly if you take the canon on one side, the Pali, such as the Pali canon, and the commentaries of the, on the other, they are really talking about two very different things. When you read the descriptions of Nimitta and Jhana in the canon, they're very different from the Nimitta and the Jhana you find in the commentaries. The, the Vasudhimaga uses a very different paradigm for concentration from what you find in the canon. canon. That begs the question, question, why do the commentaries differ so radically? Nobody knows. But this is interesting, it goes on. Second, there's a much larger issue, which is given that we're talking about purely mental states, each person's sense of the map inside the mind is going to be different. When I use a term and you use a term, there's no guarantee that we're actually talking about the same thing. Once when I was camping in Utah, we went to Powell Point. We had a guidebook and, though we th and thought we were following the road to Powell Point, but we made a wrong turn somewhere and came out at Henderson Canyon instead. We walked out to the end of the point there and tried to identify the landmarks the guidebook said you could see from the end of Powell Point, the Henry Mountains and so forth. The one problem was that there was a very large cliff off to the east, which wasn't mentioned in the book. After about 15 minutes, we realized that the cliff was Powell Point. We had made a wrong turn. So the next day, we went up to Powell Point, and the hills we had originally thought were the Henry Mountains were something else entirely. The Henry Mountains were much further east. The problem was that we had been standing at the wrong place, so our sense of the landscape was all skewed. 
You've got the same issue with people meditating, or even worse. When you talk about meditative experiences, who knows we're standing on, if, we're, if we're standing on the same point. There are so many different points you can stand on, and this is the important point, and so many states that are radically different but fit the same verbal description. This is going to be interesting when we look at the definition of jhana. There are so many different points you can stand on in so many states that are radically different but fit the same verbal description. What makes it worse is that even if the Powell point of the mind were right to your east, you wouldn't be able to see it. Thank you for, for letting me do that. Okay. So what we're going to do now is if you would go to page five in your notes, we're going to go back to the jhana in the Pali Suttas, and then we'll, we'll look at it in the Vasudhimaga. And at the top of page five there are some, um, just a few nice quotes about jhana. Jhana is called the pleasure of renunciation, the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of peace, the pleasure of enlightenment. I say of this kind of pleasure that it should be pursued, that it should be developed, that it should be cultivated, that it should not be feared. And I think that's kind of interesting because there are meditation teachers who say, oh, don't, don't go for Johnny, you know, you're going to get attached. And somebody brought, somebody brought up about the, I forgot who it was, about the craving for Johnna and all that stuff, it happens. But he's saying, he's not saying don't be afraid of it, he's saying go for it, right? So it's a different thing. Just as the river Ganges slants, slopes, and inclines towards the east, so too one who develops and cultivates the four jhanas slants, slopes, and inclines toward Nibbana. This isn't saying that it's required, but it's certainly saying it's a pretty strong aid in liberating our hearts and minds. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. There is a definition in the Pali of, of jhana, and of these four, there's four jhanas that are laid out. And um, by definition, this is where some of the confusion comes. By definition, anything that matches these words is jhana. And so we're going to look at later, there's a huge range of ways that, and some people are talking about jhana that I don't consider jhana. Some people say what I consider jhana is not jhana. They all fit the verbal description. So... Um, when we look at this, we have to spend a little time into the, this is of the whole day, we're, this is the part we're going to have to drill down into this a little bit. Um, but it's important and I think it will really inform things. Um, so, I've got the definition for you there on the middle of page five, John, a definition. And we'll go through it one by one, but um, uh, I should say that this is my own translation and um, I've looked at a number of people's translations and, um, and then did my own translation here. And um, so you take someone like, just so you know, it's a little different. Because if you hear, say, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who actually, of course, is a, is a world-renowned expert on Pali. And he knows the Sanskrit and he's a great scholar. And I'm, you know, I know some Pali, but I'm not on his level. Mine is actually different from his. He made some... I don't know, maybe there were stylistic choices that actually went a little away from the meaning. And he, I'm sure he knew, he, listen, he knows what he's doing. He, he was very conscious of it. But mine stays very close to the actual real meaning. 
So I, I'm not saying it's better, but I just, that's what I did here. Other people's too, but different choice of words. So we'll come back. So you can see there's four little single sentences, four sentences. And we're not going to read through them. We'll come back one by one to read them as we go through each jhana. But we're going to start with this first jhana. And sometimes it's nice. I'll just go ahead and read so we don't have to take time passing around the mic. So this is the first jhana, my, defini- my translation. Quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, a monk enters and abides in the first jhana, and the brackets I added in, you know, it's, it's not in, which is characterized by rapture and pleasure born of seclusion and accompanied by thought and examination. Clear? Everybody got it? No, no, that's supposed to be a joke. It's not clear. I mean, you got that. You can hear the words, but so listen to this is what it's saying. So, quite secluded from sensual pleasures, it means, right, if you want to meditate to get into jhana, you have to sort of set aside specialized conditions. So, you're in a quiet environment, and that's, that's the seclusion. And when you're actually in jhana, you're also said to be secluded because the, the concentration of the jhana sort of sets aside the sensual pleasures. Everything's quieted down. You're more in an inner state. And also secluded from unwholesome states. It's ta- talking about just setting aside the hindrances enough. There's this list called the hindrances so, that we're, so we can, can actually practice. That's all those are talking about. And then it says you enter, it does say, use the word bhikkhu which is translated as monk. But there were bhikkhunis, there were the women, the nuns, who were certainly practicing and were highly regarded. And there were the men and women lay followers, so they were there. But in the text it says bhikkhu, so I just stuck with the text. The monk enters and abides in the first jhana, and then it's got four qualities here. Rapture and pleasure, so we're going to have to look at those when I translate, that are born of that seclusion, and they're accompanied by thought and examination. We'll come to those terms, thought and examination. Those are problematic, and I translate them this way for a particular reason. Uh, I'm not taking, well, we'll come back to those terms, and there's, there's sort of a big controversy, a big world out there about what those terms really mean. I'll just say this. I picked those terms because I think they, they sort of etymologically, they stuck with sort of the, that actual just meaning of the word, but I'm not taking sides in any way about how to interpret it. Those are problematic terms, so we'll see. So as we, just before we plow into this definition a little more, there's a sutta called the Mahavedala Sutta, and it defines, this one place in the sutta defines certain factors as being jhana factors. And, it, and, and uh, by the way, the, the, these are a different translations. So I, I, I took Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation here. Okay, no, thought and examination. I, sorry, I must have used my own translation. Thought and examination and rapture and pleasure. Those four were in the definition. And then a fifth one called unification of mind. That's that one-pointedness, ekagata. So this sutta is saying that what one-pointedness or unification of mind is a factor to being in jhana, even though it's not in the definition. I'm going to say something that may be a little controversial here. This is just me. I'm an outlier in what I'm about to say. Most people would not agree with me. I think we put way, way too much emphasis on the jhana factors, and it causes problems. And I'll explain that later. A lot of other people disagree with that, but you know, I, I'm the one here today. 
that's just me. And, and, and I'll explain why I mean that. I don't mean to, to de-emphasize them in, a, in their importance, but you'll see what I mean in a bit. So there's these five John factors. And that's the call the standard list. So you've got the John definition. There's also, as we're going to see in just a few moments, there's also about half the times in the suttas, there's just the John definition. And about half the time it's accompanied by a beautiful simile. We'll look at the similes in just a few moments that explain more. Um, and actually, there are 11 other qualities present in each jhana that, are, that are come from a different sutta at the bottom there. Sense, contact, feeling, perception, volition, mind, intention, determination, energy, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention. There's another sutta that says those are in there too. So there's actually a lot going on in there. If we want to, and the way I approach the suttas, by the way, and this may not be historically valid, Rather than seeing discrepancies in the suttas, I try to see them as a cogent, unified whole to use them all to inform. They may have actually developed historically in different ways or other things were added later that added inconsistency. That's possible. But, so I'm bringing my own slant here to use these other suttas because that is in there to inform our understanding of what the sutta says, John. Okay. So there's these other elements. Okay, so let's just go into it a little more deeply. If you turn to page six in your notes. I wonder if someone would, where it says the first John definition with simile. Would someone care to just read just that paragraph? Yes, please. Quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, a monk enters and abides in the first jhana, which is characterized by rapture and pleasure born of seclusion and accompanied by thought and examination. He makes the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body so that there is no part of his body unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. Just as a skilled bathman or a bathman's apprentice heaps bath powder in a metal basin and, sprinkling it gradually with water, kneads it till the moisture wets his ball of bath powder, soaks it and pervades it inside and out, yet the ball itself does not ooze so, too, a bhikkhu makes the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. Okay, thank you. So do you, you, you get the image here in, in the simile? It's, it's they're making soap. So they're taking powder, two different things, powder and water, and then they're kneading it until you just have this one new thing that's turned into soap. So you don't, I mean, we're not talking on the microscopic molecular level, there's probably still water, but you know, it's just becomes something new. The water has suffused the soap and you really cannot separate them out anymore. So what it's saying here is very interesting. First of all, you notice there's no breath in here. 
I'm not saying you do anything with your breath or any meditation, other technique, body scan or mantra or anything. And you're taking this, again, we haven't defined this thing, just this rapture and pleasure. You're not even talking about that thought and examination, but this rapture and pleasure, and you're suffusing it through your whole body. That is both the way into jhana and a nature of the state of jhana. Once you're in jhana, this is suffused through your whole body. So that has a lot to do with, with sometimes that suffusing happens naturally on its own. This gets into more practice, like say maybe you're being with your breath and then you're feeling whatever the pleasure, whatever, and it goes through your whole body. And then your whole body suffused with, with this bliss or rapture, whatever becomes the meditation object, if it kind of clumsy language. But, or sometimes you'll have people take with the mind, consciously suffuse it through. It's a different, different, won't get too much into that. Different, depends on what's needed. There's many ways to practice, yeah? So that's, it. and by the way, and, and you see there's already some water. You're going to see this water imagery I mentioned earlier. Uh, except for the last fourth jhana, there's a lot of water imagery in, these, in the similes. And they're very beautiful, and I think they're really accurate to fill out a sense of the state of jhana. So this is, this is from the suttas. And so what I want to do now is, let's just take a little time and look at the five jhana factors, and that will help us understand things. So first of all, I put there on page six there, the first two are called, with a V, Vitaka Vichara. Sometimes you'll hear it with a W instead of V, a Vitaka Vichara. That's a Burmese accent. That's how they pronounce Pali. But if you go to the international standard Pali, it's not a right or wrong, it's different pronunciations. It's a V. Just like you don't hear people say Vipassana so much. They say Vipassana. So it's just different accents, different dialects, if you will. So, Vitaka Vichara. Those are the words that I translated in, in, in the definition as thought and examination. But if you take a look, I went through every place I could find, and I've listed out all the different... So it's a pair of words, Vitaka Vichara. Before we look at them, by the way, I talked to a man named Peter Skilling, He's also a world-renowned Pali scholar. Last I knew, he was living in Thailand. Used to be president of the Polytech Society. He's a real Pali scholar. We actually had him here many years ago teaching a class. And I asked him about these, all of these terms. And for Vitaka Vichara, he said that um, they should be taken as a phrase together. He says, occasionally... Uh, I think vichara might show up rarely in the suttas, one place or two, by itself, but not vitaka. But if I got that right, which maybe it's the other way around. In any case, um, it, 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 but you should take them as one phrase together. Okay. And so, look here at the different translations I was able to find. Reflection and investigation. Thinking and pondering. Thought and examination, that's the one I chose. Applied and sustained thought. Thought, conception, and discursive thinking. Connecting and sustaining. Initial and sustained mental application. Directed thought and evaluation. Quite a range of meanings. These meanings basically fall into two groups. 
one of them has the sense of directing your attention and sustaining it on the object, right? That's the connecting and sustaining, initial and sustained mental application, right? Applied and sustained thought, if you will. It's like applying and sustaining. Um, The other translations... um, You, such as think, it, they just indicate other mental activities, such as thinking, reflecting, just any other kind of mental activity that could be going on in jhana. And according to Peter Skilling, of everything we're going to talk about today, these are problematic terms, and and, and even for him, a, a world-renowned Pali scholar. I didn't ask Bhikkhu Bodhi, but he, Bhikkhu Bodhi did re- review my book, and he agreed. Uh, Peter Skilling says it's it's really hard or impossible to really know what was the meaning when these went back in the day when they were using these terms and compiling the suttas. So we've got these two different meanings and they can lead to different understandings of jhana. And in fact, we're, we're still in the suttas, but when we get to the Vasudhimaga, they, they're very explicit. It means connecting your attention and sustaining it. Someone like Ajahn Tanisaro and I will say that it's broader than that, that that is a mental activity, connecting your intent and sustaining it, but volition, bringing wise discernment into to working skillfully to attain jhana, it's like that's, that's mental activity, you know, so we call that skillful or wise discernment or use of the mind. Listen, there even can be uh, wise use of thoughts even, and I don't want to get off into this too much, but depending on what's happening for someone, it can, we want to be careful because about thoughts, it's tricky, but you know, whatever, whatever's going on in the mind, not in the ordinary sense, you're on a different level when you're this concentrated, but can be included in, and, and so that's kind of where I come from more. It includes the implying and sustaining attention, but it, it's, it doesn't exclude other mental activity that may be useful or skillful. So you can see already that just because of this term and that it, there, there's unclarity, we don't know what it really meant, people can legitimately take positions and say it's this or it's that and can legitimately be teaching real jhana, quote unquote real jhana, even though they're disagreeing with each other. They're both right. That's just one example. Yeah. So I picked thought in examination because I got it from Peter Skilling. He says if you just take like the etymology, kind of the root meanings. If you picked thought and examination, it's just staying more pure to the meaning. But again, I want to emphasize I was not taking sides about right or wrong. That was that reason why I picked that translation. Because other translations, I think, do tend to pick a side. If I said connecting and sustaining, it would have left out other possible meaning. All right. So that's Vitaka Vichara. Now, there are two other terms here that are really get a lot of attention. Piti and Sukha. Look at the translations I have for piti. Rapture, bliss, joy, delight, zest, exuberance. I just went wherever I could find different translators. Sukha, pleasure, happiness, joy, agreeable, bliss. There's some overlap. Some people, different translators will do one bliss, the other a joy. But I think... um, I'm going to give you my take on it, but other people, like if Lee Brasington was here, he'd say something actually different, or if other teachers would say something different. Um, first, I should say for piti and sukha, I chose, did I say rapture and pleasure? I use the word sukha, pleasure if it's in the body, and 
happiness for mental. In the, third, in the third John, it becomes more of a mental, so I change it to happiness. And I use rapture or bliss for PT. But an interesting thing, when we get to the Vasudhi Magha, the Vasudhi Magha is very explicit on how you experience PT. There's five stages and five kinds, I mean, and it can be showering and this kind, and the suttas don't define it. I don't, I, I've never found a place in the suttas, and I went through, when I was writing my book, fine-tooth comb. Took a long time. <laughs> Doesn't define it. So you could either let the Vasudhi Maga influence you, or it's another area, because people come out and say, oh, this is what PT is. Suttas don't say that. So, how, so you've got to be careful about saying it's one way for everyone. Stepping back from the text for a moment, and this is just me as a meditation teacher, my own. Again, other people will say something different, and that's fine. That'll be their system, different than my system. How PT arises in jhana is highly individual. There are people for whom it's dramatic, and it's like this waterfall gush of this powerful, intense, blissful energy or light. Or it can be coursing through the body, or it can be more mental, not in the body. There's a lot. It can be very intense and actually can be agitating and highly unpleasant and even scary or overwhelming for some people. Most people probably not, but it can be. For other people, and there's a wide range, for other people, very light, even from the beginning. And some people say, oh, you're not having PT. It's highly individual. Suttas don't say that. Even you're in jhana, but it's, it's very smoothed out. What may look like a, fourth, a third or fourth jhana, actually from the beginning, very smoothed out. It's highly individual. It's not one way. We're all different. I'll talk later about what I consider to be, since it's a big world of jhana, I've distilled down three qualities that I think are universal for jhana, no matter whose system you're in. But I'll say those in a little bit. That's just my own distillation out of all, get, get rid of all the noise and, confu- and disagreement. So we've got vitaka and vichara. We're not sure of the meaning in the suttas. We've got piti and sukha, which, again, if we set aside the Vasudhi Maga, not defined in the, in the, in the suttas. So we're using just the understanding that everybody's always had. And I'm saying it's highly individual. So I would say this. This is just, just me. Other people, like you take someone like Lee Brasington, and, and it's been a while since I've talked to him about this, but, and he's got his new book out. And you can correct me, Steve, or somebody else if I'm wrong, but he'll tend to say, like, this is the PT, and this is Sukha, and there's these different things, and he really sees them as different. I see them as a continuum that PT is stronger, and as it smooths out, just the language is shifting. It's smoothing it out. I don't, I make them as a phrase, a PT sukha, like a vitaka vichara. Because experientially, that's how it is for people. It's not just like there's this thing over here, PT, and this is other thing over here. Experientially, this is a continuum. And in fact, I'll say another thing that other teachers may disagree with. So again, I'm always prefacing when it's just me. Uh, John, I'm going to say jhana is not four discrete states. There's a continuum, and these are markers along the, the way. So when you're from one to the other, there's a real clear marker. But it's not like if any of you studied, I, I don't know what the latest understanding of particle physics is, but when I was a kid and you studied chemistry or whatever, the, there was the Bohr model of the atom, and there's the nucleus. And then the electrons are going around in different, what they call states or shells or whatever. And the electronic, it's going to be in one state. There were discrete states. You were in the first 
and it could change energies and jump to the second or the third or whatever. But there was no in-between. It couldn't exist in between. My personal understanding and from working with a lot of people is John is not like that. You're not snapping from one thing to another. There's just this continuum, but we're putting these very clear markers so when you get to a certain point, I mean, there's a good marker there. That's what I was talking about. This is just me. If someone else says they're clear, distinct states, okay, that's fine too. Different system. It's all good. But basically, we've got, let's just go back, we've got a, a definition in which those four terms, vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, are highly, highly vulnerable and open to a huge range of interpretations of meaning. And what makes it, can make it more, more um, and this is the important point. Remember I said these are the important points? This is an important point. Even more than that, you can practice and experience all the different flavors of interpretations. And actually, so somebody's meditating a certain way, like you take whatever, Pawak, he's teaching what's actually experienced and has worked for him. And someone else is teaching, they've actually, that's how it's been for them. So all these different manifestations, and so there's some people who are going to say, oh, John has discrete states. And others it's saying it's a smooth continuum with markers. It's all true for different people. You can say piti is this intense and then it goes to this other thing called sukha and other people saying it's sort of just a continuum. It's all true. Pick your system. Rather than being confused, I hope this is one of the areas where I hope all of a sudden we can say, oh, I don't have to be confused anymore about who's right or wrong. It's just a, a world that's a big world. It's not one way. And when, in a few moments, when I lay out my, what I consider to be the commonality of all, which I think is what's of essence, that's all that matters. Now I want to come, wait, sorry, one more thing. Fifth jhana factor, ekagata. It's actually called chittas ekagata. Chitta is the mind. Eka is one or uni, unification. Singleness of mind, one-pointedness of mind. Unification of mind. And here, again, maybe this last sentence I have at the bottom of page 6 might add a little more clarity about uh, those two different kinds of concentration. Because I say it here in a little different way. Some traditions maintain that a kagata means being aware of only one point. Others that it indicates maintaining a single center within a larger range of awareness. That's another way to think about the two kinds. Does that make sense? Okay. How's your brain doing? <laughs> we're going to start, we're going to pull out, but we had to dig in a little bit. Well, that shows how your brain's doing. It's too, too much. Well, this is a lot of verbal today, so we want to acknowledge that. Remember earlier I said here, some, I'm just reading it. Some traditions maintain that this fifth jhana factor at Kakata, it means being aware of only one point. That's one-pointed exclusive concentration. Others, this was the inclusive, indicate that this term means a single center, like a single centered place of awareness within a broader range of awareness around which other experiences can happen. 
no, it's, no, I, actually, I put this in the sutta part. Well, uh, I guess it depends on the, t- the teacher you talk with. From a classic text point of view, no, even that. You know, people are interpreted all different ways. It doesn't matter. People are all over the place. It's not one way. Uh, is another comment okay? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah, please. Um, I read a while back that the, the sutta passages that use similes are more likely to be authentic to the time of the Buddha. And what I liked about that, what I took away is, it's actually harder to pull it apart if you have a mistranslation. It has to hold together as a whole, like a story. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when you get in all this analysis and pulling it apart, just a mistranslation of one word just changes the whole yeah, yeah. meaning. And so that's why I like the simile. I versions. love the similes for exactly that reason, uh, too. And I think they're very beautiful. And that they seem to really... You can, you can actually work with them. There's something experientially that, you know, rather than this conceptually. So we're having to get into the concepts here. I mean, you just have to to understand this. It's just the nature of the, the topic. But I think you're just right on to, with the similes. It's, it's actually a way that, that we can get to work with it. Now, uh, just one moment. Let me say one more thing. Can you hold your question for just a moment? Okay. When I said that... Um, Sorry for that little teaser. I just realized that what I'm about to say, which I won't forget, I have to wait until I tell you one other thing. Sorry, I apologize. Would you go ahead with your question, please? Sorry about that. I, I'm, my mind's not, maybe my brain's not holding up either. It's not a question, it's a comment. <clears throat> maybe you have to get it closer or turn it on. Is it green? Just a comment that so much of reality is not either or, but a continuum. An example of that is male, female. Right. We see, you can easily see that there's a continuum in genders and not yeah, male yeah. versus female. And it's all over the place yeah, yeah. In, in empirical science. So that's why I really like your idea yeah. of continuum. Yeah, yeah, it seems obvious to me. And, and I appreciate that, and you and I are in agreement. And of course... Uh, you know, I'm always, I'm kind of repeating a lot just because there's so much, con- you, know, you would think with Buddhists we wouldn't have like Dharma wars, but there are, and it's just too bad because really just to see that it's okay if someone has a different system and then we can see for ourselves, wow, am I drawn to that system? Let me try it out. Is it working for me? Is it not? Oh, maybe this style is really, we see if the Dharma comes more alive from us one way versus another and it can be very inclusive and, uh, and we can just all be one big, it's just different branches of one tree. Of, you know, or different, different parts of one Dharma family or meditation family. Okay, so that was kind of the deepest dive. I hope you, your brain held up okay. And if you go up to the top of page 7, I'm just repeating this again, what's up there, because this has been a theme and a few people have asked questions again. The term one-pointedness suggests a stable focus on a single object in which no other awareness arises. And then again, repeating this other style, a kagata translated as unification of mind indicates this meaning but can also suggest another connotation. Rather than a mind fixed on one object in which the experience of changing phenomena is lost, in this state the mind itself is unmoving, not the objects of experience. So that's the difference, yeah. Just keep repeating that. All right. 
So an interesting thing happens in the definition of the second jhana. I'll read the definition and I'll ask someone else to read the, the, um, the simile down there. In the second jhana it says, with the stilling of thought and examination. So in whatever way you understand vitaka and vichara, it's dropped away. Whether you understand it as a mental activity of connecting and sustaining attention, we don't need that activity. You just are connected and sustained. Or where there's any other mental activity, it's dropped away. With the stilling of vitaka and vichara, you enter and abide in the second jhana, which is characterized by the rapture and pleasure born of concentration. So you still have the piti and sukha. But now it adds some things, and it's accompanied by inner composure and singleness of mind. And then it um, re- restates without the vitaka and vichara. Inner composure and singleness of mind, this is my own translation. And just one moment here. Sorry, bear with me for a moment, please. Okay. Um, the term for inner composure, sampasadana means tranquility and various translations. I just didn't put this in your notes. Self-confidence, internal assurance, serene purity. So this place of composure, this tranquility, there's a confidence that because it's like you're coming from a, a really stable, steady place, right? Of kind of knowing and being, if you will. So you can see what it's describing here. This isn't a place of getting disconnected from experience, losing experience. It's coming from a real place of stability, deep stability and presence. So we actually can be more connected with experience in a sense, right? It's a little different than a Vasudhimaga understanding. This word, uh, inner composure. And it also, singleness of mind, um, it's just... uh, um, just highlighting the, the ekagata part in here. It didn't show up in the first jhana definition, but in the second, it's highlighting the concentration. Yeah. Would someone read in the, um, that paragraph where I have the simile for the second jhana? Well, I, I mean, I can read it. It's just... Yeah, would you mind, please? Is there a... All right, here we go. The meditator attains the second jhana and, again, pervades the body, this time with rapture and pleasure born of concentration. He makes the rapture and pleasure born of concentration drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure born of concentration. Just as though there were a lake whose waters welled up from below 
and it had no inflow from east, west, north, or south, and would not be replenished from time to time by showers of rain, then the cool fount of water welling up in the lake would make the cool water drench, steep, fill, and pervade the lake, so that there would be no part of the whole lake unpervaded by cool water. So, too, a bhikkhu makes the rapture and pleasure, born of concentration, drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body, so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure, born of concentration. Okay, thank you. So again, obviously the water image. Now, I, w- I do want to pick up on one thing f- just first. It says, in, in all these similes, it says, he makes. He makes the PT in, in, in the first one, uh, uh, you know, suffused to the body here. Makes, um, um, I lost it. Makes, makes uh, the rapture and pleasure uh, born of concentration pervade the body. This is a little aside, and we could spend all day on it, actually. We really could. Because when you're in jhana, there's, again, how things arise. Sometimes there's this whole thing of it is unfolding on its own. You've gotten in such a still place, there's no doing. And in fact, you can't do. It's almost like you're going along for the ride. There's not you making, it's doing you, experientially. But it can also be sometimes, or for some people, it, everything's very subtle at this point, but what's needed is not just to hang out or not hang out, but just let it take you further. Sometimes there's a little part, of, even though the mind's not moving, even in the deepest jhanas, there's a little subtle, but it's very subtle part of the mind that you can incline. That's kind of a doing, if you will. It's very subtle here. But, uh, so in that way, you can incline your mind towards the next jhana or towards dropping away the, the, the qualities of the last jhana or inclining your mind towards the, the qualities of the next jhana. So I don't want to get into that too much today because we're not focusing on the practice side. I just wanted to name that, that that's a different style of practice. I work with all those different styles because it depends on what's needed for each person. It's not one way. So sometimes you really do want to incline the mind. It's, a, again, very subtle. The, the language is too gross, coarse now. Incline in a certain way or incline towards letting go in a certain way, dropping deeper. Or sometimes it's just a sense of doing you. So then where does the makes come? So I don't want to get hung up on that because almost, it's, oh, just one second, it's almost invariably someone will say, what it says makes and then we'll spend a long time. And did, did, did someone think through every word here very carefully or was it sort of just, you know, they just the perfunctory went through this word and said makes and I don't know. Yes, please. It brings up the question for me of whether you can slip into jhana or if it only comes through specific intention and that systems vary in, or people, right. individuals vary, teachers vary. And, and actually uh, it works in, in either of the, both of those ways for different people uh, have had it happen. Uh, it's not just one way. Uh-huh. We're all different. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to reduce everything down to just brain function, but you can. And it's a good way of speaking sometimes. So if you think of, of neural pathways and how they are light up or aligned and work, um, some we just because of our neurology, it'll go one way. And for some people, they just, it goes a different way. Just because maybe the ways our brain, neurons fire in the brain differently. I, I don't know. Yes, please. Um, you said in the second jhana, thoughts and examination, thought and examination falls away. 
So in your beginning definition of inclusive samadhi, is, does that mean that the, even if you are going down the path of this inclusive approach, those also fall away? Like the awareness of things also falls away? Well, when you get off into the inclusive samadhi, this is, gets into a tricky place. <sighs> things get very subtle. I don't really know the answer to this <clears throat> because my own experience... My own experience with this is, uh, and for most people, is when you're in jhana, you tend to be more in a secluded meditative environment. Like, I haven't experienced jhana like walking down Main Street or something like that, or shopping or whatever. You know, I tend to be in meditation, and things tend to be quiet. And so everything gets more subtle and still. Um, so I actually... To tell you the truth, I actually don't know the answer about sounds. What happens as you get deeper in? I, I should know that answer. It's probably basic. Different people are going to say different things. I know for a fact of different teachers will give you different answers of whether you can hear sounds or not. And there's actually someone wrote a paper of, it was more not from an experience, actually looking at the suttas. Can you hear sounds in John? And they were looking for... So I'm not personally that interested in that question personally, but I'll, I'm not that it wouldn't be interesting for anyone. Um, the experience of the body. You know, I've never been in John and tried to. That's not true. I have had my, I have opened my eyes. I don't know in the deepest states is a different place, but getting in some of those stages, uh, I have opened my eyes. It's so you, you know, but then you get into states beyond that where it, you're, that's not happening anymore. So then, w- would there be a s- ability? To, I don't know because. Um, as far as the body goes, every, this, again, this is highly individual. It's not just one way. So this idea, I'm proposing that in the Vasudhi Maga, you're going to see that they're very clear. You can't feel your body. But in the suttas, uh, you're connected with the body. At least I'm going to argue that that's what the suttas are saying. It doesn't explicitly say that, but it's pretty clear. But the experience of the body has shifted. It's gotten so like maybe it's just a body of just vibration or energy or light. It's very light. You know, what's, it's not such a gross perception. You're perceiving it on a different level. So on that level, we would say there still is connection with some kind of experience. But it's not ordinary surface level of experience that we spend most of our time on. You're, you're, you're kind of deep in it on a different level. So it's changed. It's not the same. But we don't say you just lost all. Yeah, right. So basically what's happened here, you've continued practicing in whichever technique you've gotten to, however you've gotten here. We're not getting into the, We've mentioned a few different possible ways. Inclining the mind, letting it just take you. And as the mind settles, that mental function is dropping away. And so what comes to prominence is the inner composure or singleness of mind as the concentration is deepening, yeah? And then just a little bit more. I don't. We can go a little faster now through the third and the fourth jhana. I'll just read the definition, and maybe someone can read the simile. With the fading away of rapture, so the PT is dropped away. However, it is you experienced it, the PT is dropped away. Didn't say that about the sukha. The rapture now fades away, and you abide in equanimity, mindful and clearly aware. So this gets back to what you were talking about. You're mindful and clearly aware. Remember, you were saying you could kind of get lost in something. Here, very explicit, you're actually mindful and clearly aware. 
feeling pleasure with the body. How can the Vasudhimaga say that you can't feel your body? Says right here, feeling pleasure in the body. We'll come back to that. They have a way that they talk, say why that's true. You enter and abide in the third jhana, of which the noble ones declare, equanimous and mindful, he abides in pleasure. So, again, the, previously the Vitaka Vichara fell away. Now the Piti, so if it's me, I'm saying it's smoothed out to the Sukha. Others people say the Piti dropped away and there is the Sukha. It, it's bringing the equanimity now. You're so getting so still. The equanimity itself is coming to the forefront. It's actually, you're actually in your consciousness about the state of equanimity, mindful and clearly aware. This is a place of deep presence, getting back to choiceless awareness. It can kind of start to have those kind of experiences. Feeling pleasure with the body, and you abide this jhana, and then again it just repeats, equanimous and mindful. You abide in this pleasure. It's a sweet space. And from these states, the first jhana, which you may have been striving after and thought you wanted to get, feels too coarse. It wants to drop. Those states want to drop away because this gets much subtler. Would someone please read the simile at the bottom of page 7? Upon entering the third jhana, the simile continues. He makes the pleasure divested of rapture drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the pleasure divested of rapture. Just as in a pond of blue or red or white lotuses, some lotuses that are born and grow in the water thrive immersed in the water without rising out of it. And cool water drenches, steeps, fills, and pervades them to their tips and their roots, so that there's no part of all those lotuses unpervaded by cool water. So too, a bhikkhu makes the pleasure divested of rapture, drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body, so that there's no part of his whole body unpervaded by the pleasure divested of rapture. Yeah. But very beautiful images, I love them. And you get the idea. So these lotuses, I'm just, you're right? They, they've just, their whole lives, they're never, they're always from birth to their whole life just completely immersed, submerged, immersed, suffused in the water. And they don't have to do anything to make that happen. It's a state of being. And in the same way here, again, there's still a subtle part of the mind. The texts don't talk about this, but this, any te- John teacher will tell you, it's so interesting that, like, what's the mind of these different parts? Because the mind's unmoving. It can't move. It can never wander off. It's just... And yet, there's a little, it's subtle part of the mind that can kind of... And I'm putting words to it. It's not words, but it's kind of like, hmm, what's this? Well, let me examine that. Or, or can let go here or slightly incline that. You can kind of incline the mind a little bit. That can, it's just interesting. I can't explain that, but it's true. And so here, there can still be that state of, I guess you call it doing, if you will, it's, or inclining, it's very, very subtle. But it's just a state of being, there's no doing. You just are suffused with this sukha. So the piti has gone down, to, if it was bliss, it's gone down to just a pleasure, happiness. It's light and sweet. And even if piti was dramatic before, that's just dropped away. 
And sort of another image I like is like if you look, go outside on a clear day, you know, all the stars are out there. The full Milky Way, if you've ever gone up, uh, if you ever go to, the most I've ever seen it is you go to Hawaii and uh, is it Mauna Kea, that's got the, which is the one that has the big telescopes. And you can go up to 9,000 feet you, and go up there and they got a visitor center and it's just clear. I mean, I've never seen a sky like this before. It was just unbelievable. And that's there right now. If you go outside, you can't see it. Sun's too bright. Sun goes down, assuming we don't have a moon. It's, what was already there can be seen because it's subtler. So what happens is all this vitaka, vichar, and all this piti, you know, some people say, oh, I want bliss. But it gets kind of coarse at some point. It drops away, and the mind's such, so still and subtle, and the clarity has come to prominence. This is one of the features of jhana that's so important, the clarity itself. Now the stars are out and we can see on whole levels that we hadn't seen before. So that's kind of the idea and the equanimity that's there. And this is a real place, this equanimity. Now this is getting, this is really getting into the insight part, right? So um, anyway, uh, that's kind of gives an idea about it. And this gets back to what I was going to say a few minutes ago and I said, sorry for the teaser, I want to wait. Remember I said a statement and I said it would be controversial and I think people make too big of a deal about the jhana factors. So I, I need to qualify that. The jhana factors are important and I'm saying that as explicitly. I, 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 I was being a little flippant when I said they make too big of a deal about it. But you will have people meditating in a way and, and, and I know which teachers they've been practicing with because they'll come to me and sit and, and it's fine. It's just a certain system. It's a good system. But they'll be talking about just reporting their PT to me, how they're experiencing, uh, you know which teacher I'm talking about. Uh, he, they, 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 they just report their PT, and everything's about how's the PT going, because they're using PT because you want to get it and then suffuse it through your body as a system, right? So that's, you understand where that's coming from. First jhana, you suffuse the PT through your whole body. But people can judge their practice. That, that's actually skillful and useful, where it gets to be a problem is you're judging your practice by how much PT you have. And that's where people can sometimes fall off, get out of balance about it. Because as I said before, PT can be very smoothed out, even at the beginning for some people. And you can see here, there's no, ultimately there's no PT, it's just dropped out and you're just smoothed out. So the jhana factors are an essential part of this if they're held with the right, with, with the right view. But we don't want to get uh, too enamored by the PT and miss what's... In other words, the bright blazing sun is great, but eventually we want to be able to see, like, um, really the way I view jhana, I think of it as turning your mind either into a Hubble telescope or you could do the opposite, an electron microscope. I think either image works. And it can feel one way or another. But even with a Hubble telescope, you don't want the blazing sun in there. You want everything to settle down, and then you've got that clear sky, and then you can see, you know, galaxies, whatever, 13 billion, whatever, not that far, 10 billion light years away or whatever. So that's the idea of things settling. So we want to use the PT skillfully, but not get too uh, overly caught up in how our PT's doing. That's all I meant when you can get out of balance. I'm not saying it's not an essential part here. Well, let's just quickly look at the fourth jhana on page eight. 
Would someone please read just the, the definition of the fourth jhana and the simile? Anyone? Yes, please. Do you have, do you have, a, do you have a mic back there? The fourth jhana. With the abandoning of pleasure and pain and with the previous disappearance of joy and grief, he enters and abides in the fourth jhana which has neither pain nor pleasure and purity of mindfulness and equanimity. Finally, upon attaining the fourth jhana, he sits pervading his body with a pure, bright mind so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the pure, bright mind. Just as though a man were sitting covered from head to foot with a white cloth so there would be no part of his whole body not covered by the white cloth. So too a bhikkhu sits pervading his body with a pure bright mind, so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the pure bright mind. Okay. Pervaded. Guys okay for another 10 minutes before lunch? Do you think your mind can stay with it? <laughs> I'm just checking in. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah, some people said yes, and some were kind of... <laughs> I'm asking because we can finish this. This is the, We're going to shift, go, just do it. Okay, let's just push through. So let's look at the definition. So first of all, with the abandoning of pleasure and pain, that's more in the body, and the previous disappearance of joy and grief, which are more mental. Because of the equanimity... He enters and abides in the fourth jhana, which has neither pleasure nor pain. So at this point, there's no pain in the body. You could sit for. And a purity of mindfulness and equanimity. So that's it. It's just, no, just a, a presence, pure equanimity and mindfulness. Yeah. Well, that's you know, it's saying here, like, talks, look, at, look at the simile pervading the whole body with a pure, bright mind. But then the whole question doesn't get back. So the question, it's two things. It's two. Yes, you're connected with the body, but at some point, you know, to tell you the truth, we're making a distinction. We haven't gotten to the Vasudhimagajana yet, but, you know, we make this distinction because there you can't feel your body. Here, you can get into states that are kind of like that anyway because everything gets so subtle, the body kind of drops away. But you've gone through the body and you see it dissolves away into just subtler and subtler and subtler. That's different than just shutting off connection with your body. So experientially, there's a range of ways people experience it. It's not one way. But I want to say as a gross general statement, yes, you're still connected with the body. And you can see the simile here. You just, pure bright mind pervades the whole body. And that's it. It's a beautiful state if you're there. So those are the four jhanas. Yes. Okay. Well, here's, well, save your question then, or if you want, okay, well, I'll go ahead then. Do you want to go or you want me to go? It's not really a question. It's a, a line from the uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead translation, uh, a translation which says, and the naked, spotless intellect is like a transparent vacuum. Do you have any? Comment. I don't have a comment. I mean, because I don't, I want to say, I mean, it's beautiful. Uh, I don't know about their tradition and, and what, what they mean by those terms. Maybe the same or maybe different when they're using mind and intellect. I don't know. And also the context. So, so it may be, I, I just, it's hard to 
compare because I don't, I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, okay. So just this will just, we're just going to touch on a few things I want to name here before we go into lunch. We won't go into some depth, but just to name here, for, if you want to talk about them further, but I just said here, uh, the suttas say, still on page 8, that after attaining jhana, there are three divergent, three different paths that are there. And you don't have to do one or the other. One of them is, um, beyond these four jhanas, there's four other what are called higher immaterial or formless attainments that are laid out. They're called the arupas. In the Vasudhimaga, they call them, they call them the, uh, arupa means formless. They call them the formless jhanas in the Vasudhimaga. But in the suttas, there's not called the jhanas. There's just the four jhanas. That's the only jhanas. And then there's these, they call them the formless attainments. And I didn't lay them out, but um, I might have when we, in the Vasudhimaga in your notes, but I'll just name them. There's one which is called the base or the sphere. We can call it the experience of, of, of boundless or infinite uh, space. That's what you experience. Is just, so the, there's no body in these. There's, you are disconnected from everything in this world then. Matter of fact, I've heard, it's kind of funny, I heard someone say, oh, I went on a jhana retreat with so, such and such a teacher. And by the end of the one week or two weeks, you know, half of us were walking around in the Sixth jhana of boundless consciousness. There's no walking around. <laughs> They're formless attainments. This world is gone. And if you're walking around, then you're in a great space. I mean, it sounded lovely what they were in, and it might have, I'm, not, I'm not invalidating their experience, but we just, and they can call it whatever they want, it doesn't bother me, but uh, it's, it's not a formless attainment. They are formless this is gone, anything in form. So there's, the experience of it is pure infinity of space. The next one beyond that is called boundless consciousness. And it's sad that some people get into this one. This is kind of like merging in one with, with infinite consciousness. They think, oh, that's it. But it's a formless attainment. Matter of fact, some teachers will disparage other traditions that say, you know, oh, the ultimate Nirvana is pure consciousness. Oh, they just got stuck in the sixth jhana. So this is more room for controversy. <laughs> but uh, there is an experience that happens of boundless consciousness. It's like a oneness. Well, I, I could talk about it. It's, uh, some of you may have experienced it. It's, uh, it's great. doesn't last. <laughs> but uh, beyond that is what's called um, space... Uh, uh, nothingness. And beyond that is something called neither perception nor non-perception. It's so subtle, you call it neither perception nor non-perception. What's that? And so that's a state where we could say, well, we could talk about it, but actually you cannot talk about that state. Some people may think they can, but I say if, 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 if I've, I have a little experience there, so I've got to be careful because maybe I'm not like that, the expert, but I just want to say um, you're getting to the realm where uh, language and concepts are dropping away. So those, there is something called cessation also beyond that. But anyway, that's the, that's the, what are sometimes called the eight jhanas, but they're not. They're the, uh, the four jhanas, and they were still in the suttas, four formless attainments, they're called. There's a second training put in the suttas beyond the jhanas, which is develop of psychic powers. And some people are surprised to hear, but they're in there, and they're not just tucked away in one little corner of the suttas. They pop up in a, here and there. And there's, some of them are psychic powers, reading minds and all that. 
But they say powers like flying through the air, seeing past lives, seeing where people are going in future lives, walking through walls. There's a list given. They're called idhis, which means powers. And there's supernormal powers and everything, so you don't have to believe in it. I'm just telling you, that's in the suttas. That's all we're saying for now. And then the third path, so there's, you can develop the formless attainments, there's the supernormal powers, and the third path is the path of insight. That's for the purpose of, of enlightenment and liberation what's important. And that's really the ultimate goal is this liberation. So those are some paths. And then this will be super quick. You can read more in depth on your own. If you go in your notes and skip to page 10, and you can see that it's super fast because see there's section 5, it's, there's not much there. This is the last piece before lunch. Now that we understand jhana in the suttas, it's not much just to make a few distinctions here between jhana and the Vasudhimaga. And you can understand the difference. First of all, I already mentioned, the four jhanas of the Pali suttas have been renamed in the Vasudhimaga to be called rupa jhanas. Rupa means form. It doesn't say that anywhere in the suttas. But it's so, and, and a lot of times you hear people say the rupa jhanas. That's Vasudhimaga way of speaking. And the four arupas, formless attainments of the suttas, Mostly in the Vasudhimaga are called Arupas also. Um, occasionally they might, there's, there's a few spots where they might be called for, uh, formless jhanas. I think it's one or two spots, but it's almost all formless, uh, called Arupas, just like in the, in the suttas. And they get grouped with the four Rupa jhanas in the, in the Vasudhimaga to be called the eight attainments. That's, that, that's not in the suttas. But here, the, the, the rupa jhanas and the arupa jhanas are grouped together called the eight attainments. And just as an FYI, you will often hear now, people will call them like this, the four jhanas, and people will use the terminology jhanas five, six, seven, and eight for the formless. And there's no place in, in either the suttas, the commentaries, or the Vasudhimaga that uses that terminology. It's fine terminology. And I asked uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi and one other well-known teacher and scholar about where did that numbering system come from, about Jhanas 5, 6, 7, 8. They said they don't know where it arose, but it, they, their guess is, is that it seems to be a modern innovation just to use it. Say, oh, I'm in the sixth John. It's fine. It's just another terminology. There's nothing wrong with it. And I was wondering, because I know, uh, I was wondering if that may have come from Ayakima, maybe. She might have done that. I don't know, but somewhere. But just to know, you won't find it in the suttas, but you'll hear it, and that's what they're talking about. Again, just another way of speaking. And um, I, again, um, if you look at the uh, top of page 10, just as a reference there, remember I said this Vasudhimaga gave 40 meditation subjects for developing samadhi? You know, this really is a complex system, isn't it? With all this, there's 40 this and 20 that and 8 this, and it just goes on and on. I've listed them out there for you. I didn't go into any detail, but they're there. In, if, go look in the appendix of my Samadhi book, and I actually discuss them. It turns out that the Vasudhimaga also lists out of the 40 
Some of them will take you all the way to the fourth jhana, somewhere only to the third. Some, it's sad, I don't know if it really works this way, will only take you to the first, and some will only take you to access concentration. So I, d- I didn't go into all that, but I'm just saying that's in there. And finally, um, in Vasudhimaga jhana, it is explicit that body awareness is lost as your mind absorbs into the nimitta. It says that explicitly. When we talk later, we'll come back and say exactly how does the Vasudhimaga, how do they, that's in the controversies section later today for those of you who will be here. But for now, just know the Vasudhimaga, it's a different system, isn't it? And finally, when you look at the jhana factors, the Vitaka Vichara, in, if this is the bottom of page 10, specifically refers to connecting and sustaining your attention. That interpretation in the Vasudhimaga, they're explicit. The PT rapture, five types of rapture are listed. Remember, the suttas don't tell you what it is, it just uses the term. Here, it really goes into detail about which of these five and how you experience them. The word sukha in the Vasudhimaga does get used to be either pleasure or happiness. And the ekagata is clearly, again, that one-pointedness, not that what I call unification of mind. You know, it's interesting, it's exactly 12.30, and since we left out the, the meditation sections I had scheduled, we actually got exactly where I wanted to get today. So what I want to, I do have some meditation scheduled in the afternoon, we'll try to do that. And again, if you're not getting the sitting, please use this. We'll have a full hour, 12.30 to 1.30, we'll start again. And the afternoon's going to be kind of similar to today, although some of the things won't be as down into all the minutiae as we'll be up on broader uh, concepts now that we have uh, enough um, understanding under our belts. Yeah. And again, you know, with, as you go to lunch with any of this stuff, I hope, you know, if it's useful to support your practice, great. And if it's not, uh, I'll just leave you with what my, uh, my brother used to tell me, the clothes shopping analogy, which I use a lot and I think really works for any, anything you're learning or teaching. It's like you go down and, you know, there's all these shirts hanging on the rack. And if you see one that looks interesting, you know, you take it off, you try it on. And if it feels good, looks good, price is right, you keep it. If not, you just stick it back on the rack and move on. Some people find that, that studying this really supports their practice a lot. You keep it. And some people, you know, that's great, but it's not for me, and that's fine. You just put it back on the rack and find what supports you, too. So as a way of holding all this uh, information and suttas and everything, yeah? See what supports you. All right. So let's break now, 12.30. We'll come back at 1.30. I hope you enjoy your lunch. I'm going